past few weeks we've been talking about in the book of Colossians uh, what some might surmise to be a fairly lofty vision of what we've called the new humanity or God's new kingdom. Um, the things he's shaping and molding inside of us uh, because of who Jesus is. So we've talked about uh, for six weeks all about who Jesus was, all the things that Jesus does for us. And, and then we talked about the fact that those, those realities of who Jesus is then begins to invade our lives. And the first several weeks of talking about what the things that Jesus transforms inside of us have been really, really lofty. They've been large things. They've talked about <clears throat> affecting our whole faith community, that like we're supposed to live at peace with one another. Uh, let the peace of Christ be the thing that rules in our hearts and in our lives. And um, it, it's painted this really big picture for us. Uh, but this week, what we're going to experience is, to, to borrow a phrase um, I heard from someone at the awakening services, Paul's going to come down our driveway a little bit. And he's going to move from this really lofty, uh, grandiose vision of God's new humanity. And he's going he's gonna to come into our homes. And he's going to say, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus affects not just like the church community overall, not just these lofty things, but the, the, the person of Jesus affects our everyday. He's the God of the grandiose and the God of the rather mundane. The last verse in 3.17 we talked about last week said, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded again today that here's a a tangible taste of the whatever of that last verse. That God transforms the big parts of our lives and he transforms the the small part of our lives. And today we're going to see, I really believe, that God is transforming our households. God is transforming our households because of who Jesus is. So we're going to start in 318. I'm going to reread what Hannah read. (coughs) Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. So what we see here is Paul casting a vision and reshaping what a gospel-centric household looks like, uh, what it looks like for us to frame our family units, our family lives in a light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the thing that is clear and distinct is that our households should look radically different from those of the world. Households represented inside the church should look different than those of the world. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking to in in this point in time. And for us to fully have a grasp on what Paul's getting after here, I think we need to understand uh, contextually the first century household that Paul 
was speaking to. So what did a, a typical like Roman Colossian household look like at this point in time? And so when you think about the household, um, zoom out a little bit further than, than the Jordan, Amanda, Hudson, and Miles that you might see in a typical household today. Uh, because oftentimes what we found is multi-generational uh, households living together under one roof. There was uh, he talks about slaves and masters in here. Uh, there was so many people inter, uh, under this umbrella of household, but what was most often the case was each household was organized under uh, what's called a paterfamilia, okay? A paterfamilia. And paterfamilia is literally just like the, the father of the family. And so the oldest male in whatever that family unit was, would be the pater familia, the patriarch, if you will. Uh, now, this isn't, like, we go to family reunions on the Schaff side. My, my grandpa's the oldest member of the Schaff uh, clan still kicking around. And, like, that's not unusual to have an oldest male member. But what, uh, what was also distinct about the first century household is that under this pater familias, um, uh, there was an absolute autocratic sort of society uh, being built out in the household, meaning the paterfamilias, the oldest male, had absolute rights, absolute authority, absolute control, absolute sovereignty. Uh, It went so far that this person, the patriarch, was the only legal resident The only legal resident in this uh, Roman occupation was the oldest male. And because of this, because they had the power, because they had the authority, because they had all of this, it would often be referred to uh, uh, as Lord of the House. That this person would be the Lord of the House. That gives us a little bit of pause because we're good church folk. And uh, we hear that terminology and we go, well, that's like a Christian word. But uh, when we're saying Lord, what we're getting after is someone who rules and reigns over a particular sovereign area. Uh, So a king is Lord over his kingdom. He's ruling and reigning over his kingdom. Uh, uh, The paterfamilia was Lord over his household. He's ruling and reigning over his household. Now, we believe as Jesus followers that Jesus is Lord. We're going to get to that here in a little bit, that he rules and reigns over all of his creation. But uh, the, the oldest male would have been Lord over the household. Each, each family would have been viewed as almost an individual state, uh, making the oldest male the, the kind of ruler or emperor of that state. Now, for some of us, this might th- sound like a thrilling proposition. You might be going, oh man, that sounds incredible. There's a lot of stuff I'd like to clean up in my household. And if I had absolute authority, sign me up for that. But what that doesn't do is take into account every other person in the context of that family whose wants and rights and desires and feelings were oftentimes just thrown aside because they weren't in line with the lordship of the paterfamilias. The entire household had one opinion, one thought, one belief, one whatever, because it's, it's my way or the highway. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not under the impression that every single paterfamilia, every single uh, patriarch of a certain household uh, was this like 
dictatorial, uh, refusing to be benevolent. I'm sure there were people in this society, in this uh, design, that were kind and benevolent and good and gracious leaders. But what we often see as we look back on the history books is that usually wasn't the case. It was what I say goes, and everyone else can just kind of hit the road with their thoughts and opinions. And so Paul is looking at the church in Colossae. And he's saying, uh, there is a certain societal norm that you're existing under. And Paul says, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, has the ability to transform every single area of your life. We talked about this at the beginning. The, The big and the mundane, so much so that it's going to leave this family, as in the church family, and it's going to invade your homes. And this is who Paul was writing to when he writes the book of Colossians. Looks at the world around him and says, because Jesus is who he says he is, because Jesus has done what he said he's done, that Jesus has rescued us from death, that Jesus is actively ruling over us, he's reigning in our lives, that Jesus is reconciling us back to him, uh, that Jesus is revealing the mysteries of God, that Jesus is reviving our dying hearts, that Jesus is releasing us then from all this obligation of religion. And because of that reality, our lives, lives then therefore should look different. So in light of who Jesus is and in light of what Jesus has done, what does Paul say? Speaking contextually uh, to this group of people and then what does that say for us? I want to highlight just a couple things this morning that Paul is inviting us into as Jesus followers for how Jesus transforms our households. And here's the first thing, okay? He's speaking to this very autocratic, very uh, lord over the house society. And here's what he reminds us. Uh, People who are living under the authority of Jesus remember that it is God that has the authority in our households. There is no one individual that has the authority in our households. It is God that has the authority, and we are choosing to submit and live under authority. So what's Paul saying here about the shift in power? Let's work down through it. He says, in verse 18, he says, wives, you're going to submit to your husbands. And then verse 19, and and most readers in this this time are like, yeah, that that checks out. And verse 19 says, and husbands, you're going to be gentle with your wives. You're not going to be this dictatorial ruler who's going to uh, rule and reign sovereignly over them and, and not give them thoughts or feelings or opinions. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be kind about it. And he says in verse 20, he says, children, you're going to submit to and you're going to obey your parents. And then in verse 21, he says, he says parents, you're going to be kind to your kids. Like you're not going to be, you're not going to be like av- aggravating them or embittering them. You're going to display kindness to them. And then he says, slaves, because that's affected in these households. He says, you're going to obey your masters, and you're going to show that you can live under submission. And, but masters, you're going to be kind to, your, to, to those who are serving under you, and you're going to uh, treat them fairly because you recognize that you sit under authority of God. Now, I don't think the Bible has nothing to say about gender roles, but I don't think this passage specifically is aiming at gender roles. If you look contextually at what Paul's talking about, he's talking about transforming into a new humanity, into God's new kingdom established, being representatives here on the earth. I think Paul is digging deeper than that here. 
If he, if he wanted to run after gender roles, I really think the whole section probably, be, probably would have been about husbands and wives and would have been about uh, what that looks like. But instead, he just gives a survey over what the entire household is supposed to look like. So Paul is advocating uh, here for something far more transformational than just gender roles or positioning or things of that. He's saying, he's reminding them, uh, hey, you better check yourself on how the dynamics of power and authority are applied in your life. I uh, heard a clip several years ago at at a conference from some pretty conservative believers and they were doing a Q&A in the midst of the conference where there was a, a panel uh, of pastors. And it was lighthearted fun. Uh, I don't love how it transpired. But um, they said, we're going to do some word association. We're going to do some word association. Uh, and the, I'm going to say something. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind. He was asking these popular pastors. And uh, so the first person, I'm trying really hard not to use any names here. The first person says uh, the name of a popular speaker, author, uh, that happens to be a woman, doing wonderful things for God's kingdom. And uh, uh, the, the pastor then responds with his word association to this speaker, author, that sort of thing. And his response is, go home. Go home. part to me that was gross about the situation is the hoots and the hollers and the laughs and and things of that nature. But once everything settled down a little bit, this pastor went on to say, um, and it's unfair when we talk about things of this nature, but he went on to say, what these radical feminists, and this person's not a feminist by any means, but what these radical feminists are trying to do is they're just trying to usurp. All they're after is power. All they're after is power. And I remember intaking that and then processing that with a really trusted female in my life. And, And she so beautifully reminded me that that sentiment assumes that in our relationships, the men are the ones with the power to begin with. And Paul is saying here that is simply not the case. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one with the power. Jesus is the one with the authority. Jesus is the one that rules and reigns. Jesus is the one that is Lord over all creation, including our households. And so as a new humanity, being God's representatives here on the earth, we're choosing to submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not espousing that God did not create men and women differently. I'm not espousing that uh, there's not specific things that he's gifted each gender for. But what I am saying is for us to view the world through the context of power and trying to jockey for who has power and who has authority in our households, I think is misguided because it assumes that we have the ability and capacity to maintain that power to begin with when reality all things belong to Jesus. Not one gender. Paul says here, not one age. Jesus is ruling and reigning. I want us to pause here because if this uh, reality causes us to rear back a little bit, 
I want us to think about why that might be. Because what Paul did the first half of the book was remind us of the fact that Jesus rescued us from death. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy through the work of Jesus on the cross, made us alive again, reconciled us back to God. There was not a thing we could do on our own cord. There was not some sort of religious system or religious belief that we could muster up inside of ourselves. There was nothing that we had to offer, but instead, Jesus offered himself for us. Earlier in the letter, uh, in, in chapter 1, Paul reminds us that all things were made by Jesus for Jesus, meaning Jesus has a sovereign rule and authority over all of our lives. And I'm going to be honest with you, our world is yelling from both sides. Our world is yelling from both sides. You have one contingency that's yelling uh, that, that men just need to man up. That men just need to take charge and be, a th- be an authority and be all of this stuff. And then you have another contingency that's saying, no, women, women's going to rule the day. Women, wi- women need to take charge and, and authority. And I think it's all just misguided. Because what Paul is saying here is we're all choosing to submit to the lordship of Jesus Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. He's putting everything in the right orientation with God, with the creator of all things. Paul says in his letter to the, uh, to the Galatians, there's either new Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we submit, we do it as like we're doing it to the Lord. When we love, we love like Jesus loved the church. When we obey, we do it because we realize it pleases God. And this is the new gospel humanity that we, where we aren't constantly trying to lord over one another, but instead trying to love one another and spur one another on towards godliness and wholeness and experiencing God's kingdom establishment here on the earth. But first, we have to recognize that all power and all authority lie with God. And then we have to actively choose daily to submit to that. N.T. Wright says, Christ releases you to be truly human. And you must now learn to express your true self according to the divine pattern. Not in self-assertion, but in self-giving love. The household that's following Jesus isn't trying to jockey for position or lord one over one another, but instead is choosing to mutually lay down wants and desires and instead choosing to actively pick up the wants and the desires of Jesus. They're participating in the world and in their families in the way that God intended it. But this is a little bit more of a, this is more than just a 
theological assertion that Jesus is Lord because we have an opportunity to actively live this out. So the, the new humanity household is all choosing to submit themselves to the authority of Jesus, realizing that we've got no power or authority on our own accord, but instead we're choosing to say Jesus has the power, Jesus has the authority, and we're choosing to submit to that. But it's more than just a theological assertion. There is a practical way that we can live this out, and it's choosing to serve one another in love. And I cannot tell you, the more I look around at the world around us who is not following Jesus, the more I see how radically different serving one another in love is. I love being part of the special moments in people's lives. So like last week, child dedications, loved it. Weddings, funerals, like the stuff where it's like, poignant moments in people's lives. I love the privilege that I get to be a part of those. And one of my favorite things is the wedding's beautiful, but Amanda and I will sit down with a couple, usually like six sessions ahead of the wedding. Um, and we just kind of talk through, hey, we've, only, we've been married 10 years. That's, that's a long time, baby. That's, I was going to say only 10 years, but I was like, that's, that's significant. It's not insignificant. We're not newlyweds anymore. But anyways, we've, we've been married enough to like, uh, know that it's not a cakewalk. Um, but here's what I love. One of the things we, we say oftentimes to all of these young couples is marriage gives us the shape of the gospel. Marriage gives us the shape of the gospel. Inside of that, here's what I mean, that, that there's two people actively and willingly choosing to go, I understand that this person is going to mess up and make mistakes. And I'm choosing to enter into a covenant with them anyways. I'm not under the illusion that they're going to be perfect. I'm not under any illusion that everything's going to be wonderful. And in fact, I know full well that they are going to let me down. And in doing so, I get to forgive them. I get to show them grace. I get to be loving towards them. And all the while, they get to do the exact same thing for me because I'm going to drop the ball. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to let them down. And they get to show me grace and they get to show me love. So marriage gives us the shape of the gospel. And one of the things Paul's saying here is he's talking about, here's, here's the shape of what the household should be like. We're submitting to the authority of Jesus. And one of the ways we're submitting to the authority of Jesus is we're choosing to serve one another in love. And here's the beauty. This isn't just a husband and wife thing. Paul includes the entire household in it. And he says we all get to participate in this. Husbands, wives, uh, kids. He mentions slaves. He mentions masters. Everyone gets some sort of instruction here for what it looks like to serve one another in love. Wives are instructed to to be subject to their husbands. Husbands are instructed to, to love their wives and to value them and to serve them, to honor them, to lead well. And to not lord power over them but serve sacrificially. Kids are instructed to obey but not just out of duty or obligation but out of delight. Parents are instructed to be kind and gentle with their kids. Slaves are admonished to obey their masters like they're working for God. Masters are reminded to to be kind and gentle with their slaves.
Every single person is affected by the good news of of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And once again, the moment you begin to get upset because you go, well, my needs aren't being looked out for, Paul turns around and finds whatever the opposite group is in your households and says, hey, they also need to, to back at you. No one's excluded from this gospel new humanity. We're looking out for one another. Every area of our lives ought to be distinct. And as I thought about it, there was a few ways that I think are applicable for us here and now in 2023 to let the serving one another through love live itself out. And these are things that are laid on my heart as we talk about this conversation of authority and power and serving one another through love in our homes and in our households. And one of the ways that this came to mind for me was the way we treat our spouse to other people. The way we treat our spouse to other people. You know what's super common as you go about your day? Maybe you're at work, at the office, maybe you're hanging out with your friends. It's super common to just absolutely trash your spouse in front of other people. Maybe for a laugh, maybe you just feel like you need to vent. But in God's new humanity, brothers and sisters, this ought not be. We're living in self-sacrificial love. We're living under the authority of Jesus. And that chooses, uh, when we do that, we then see things through the lens of what Jesus did for that person We are encouragers. We are mutually submitting to one another. We're cheering on. We're the biggest cheerleaders in the world for the person who's on the other side of the table. In this case, your spouse. That's what we've been called to do. We haven't been called to drag down. And that's a specific way that this week we get to submit ourselves under the authority of Jesus. Going, Jesus died for this person just like they died, uh, just like he died for me. A lot of our students are... uh, gone this week, but for the students that are left, uh, I'll put you in the kid category, still living in mom and dad's household. You haven't started a household of your own yet. And it's become really common practice. I was in student ministry for a long time. I know all the secrets. It's becoming really common practice for, for students to brag to one another about how they pulled the wool over their parents' eyes. Or like, uh, I, I got a while around one of my parents' rules. I was, I was super sneaky. I did this, that, and the other. And they bragged to one another about how, how they did that. And they, they complained to one another about how dumb their parents' rules are and, and about how much smarter they are than their parents. And uh, all of this is just to gain some brownie points in your group of friends. But let me ask you this. If God was present with us here and now, which, shocker, he is. King of the universe, author of life, lover and savior of your soul. Would it not be your aim to please God? Like, would you not want to be like kind of want to do what makes him really happy because he's so great. Paul's saying here, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. 
It pleases the Lord, the author of life. So, so that should be our aim in the rest of life, to please God. And one of the ways we can do that is submitting to the authority that, that our parents have in our lives. That our parents have, have uh, been placed in this season and time. We are gifts to them as their kids. And they've been placed in the season and time to help nurture and disciple and help us grow. Uh, and instead of just complaining about it, and instead of, of uh, going, you know, I, they're, they're so stupid, I don't want to listen to them. No, instead we get to please the Lord with our obedience to them. But then, just before kids, before you think I'm beating up on you too much, Paul addresses parents here too. And he says, he says, fathers, the word can be translated as both parents. So this isn't just a dad's thing. Fathers, do not embitter or aggravate your kids. One of the things I was praying through this week that I was so convicted of is that my kids, get this, my kids are co-heirs to the kingdom of God with me. They are not second-class citizens in God's kingdom. So parents, when we're on the sidelines at the soccer game or we're doing this, it is not our job to just be complainers about how tough our kids are. It is not our job to go, oh, they're just, they're so lazy and they're so entitled. They're so this, that, and the other. It is our job to disciple and love and encourage and not aggravate our kids because they are equal recipients of the good news of Jesus with us. Paul's painting a picture for us here of what this new humanity looks like. And it's one where we're all saying, I don't need the power in my household. I don't need the authority. I'm giving it to God because his way is far better. And it's a way of, uh, of saying we get to mutually serve one another in and through love. The good news of Jesus has the power to transform this area of your life. And so if home life feels like a mess right now, if it feels like a mess right now, my invitation to you is this. Which part seems out of line? For kids, if you're like, I just, I don't want to be home. I would up and leave right now if I could. Um, I don't want to be there. You can only focus on you. So what if instead of just... uh, being a complainer, what if instead you said, uh, okay, how can I obey my parents because that pleases the Lord? How can I focus on what I can focus on right now? Spouses, whatever side you fall on, husband and wife, uh, and you're like, things are just really tough and we don't seem to be getting along. I don't understand this. What if instead you, you found the verse that applies to you and you say, I'm going to do this this week. I'm going to submit myself uh, to my husband because it's fitting for the Lord. Or, or I'm going to love my wife. I'm not going to be harsh with them because that's what God's asking, us, uh, asking me to do. How can I self-sacrificially serve and love this week? And I, I promise you this. When you begin to do your part, watch God be honored. And watch the, the life of the Spirit begin to prop up and flourish inside of your family because you are reorienting yourself around the new humanity that God has built. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to close out with the song that we opened with, 
um, talking about God's promises, and, and we'll let these things resonate in our hearts and our souls, and we'll declare them together. So, Father, forgive us for the moments where we try to grab for power. Forgive us of the moments where we uh, try and take what is not ours because it's yours, God. It's yours. Lord, we recognize that you're building something different in this space and in our families. And we just want to participate in that. So we love you deeply. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.